Hello and welcome to Inside Music, episode number 42. I'm your host, James Shotwell, and on this episode, I'm speaking with Bobby Darling, one half of the Money Pit and a former member of Gatsby's American Dream. Now, I'm sure some of you listening are not familiar with the Money Pit, and some of you might not be familiar with Gatsby's American Dream, but I think there is something in this conversation with Bobby Darling for everyone. Gatsby's American Dream were one of those you know, dawn of the new millennium pop rock bands that really pushed the genre and what it could be. And, you know, they really opened up the world of possibilities for a lot of bands that are current today. I don't know that the band really gets the respect they deserve in the modern alternative scene, but they certainly do deserve some praise. Their first album, first full-length album on Fearless Records, Volcano, is considered a classic by many, including myself. And everything they've done is something that stands on its own still to this day. They were not a conventional band in any way, shape, or form, and their music continues to be a testament to that. Bobby's new project, The Money Pit, is a little bit different. It's not as high concept as the music made by Gatsby's American Dream, but it does challenge the typical alternative sound. I wouldn't go as far as to call it a chill wave record because there's a lot of upbeat tracks, but it's also not a pop rock record necessarily. It's the kind of album that you want to listen to while you're driving in the summer heat at night with stars above you and that boy or girl you care about at your side. It's the kind of album that is meant for making memories while it plays. And I think a lot of people are going to be discovering it in the coming weeks, and I wanted to get everyone on, you know, on the same page with where the band's coming from, what they hope to do, and what they hope you take away from the album. The Money Pit's debut record just arrived in stores last Friday, September 4th, and that was the day that Bobby and I chose to speak about the record and his career in music, and I think you're really going to like the results. Before we get there, I need to tell you that this week's episode of Inside Music is brought to you by Holix, the internet's leading digital promotional distribution company. What Holix does is that they provide a secure platform for record labels and publicists to share unreleased music with members of the press as well as other industry professionals at large without having to worry about leaks. They have a state-of-the-art watermarking technology that makes it very easy to track where music goes, who's listening to it, who's enjoying it, and if it gets out, who's responsible for the leak. For access to Holix and a free 30-day trial, you can visit www.holix.com. That's www.h-a-u-l-i-x.com. I also want to tell you about the Holix blog, otherwise known as Holix Daily. That's where this podcast originated, and we post content six days out of the week that help. That's aimed at helping people, you know, navigate the current music industry. Sometimes that means advice columns. Sometimes that means interviews with industry professionals, and sometimes that's just job listings. Every Sunday we have a job board where we have at least twenty-five openings in the music industry all over America, and sometimes even in the UK. So if you get a chance, visit HolixDaily.com. Also, and this is the last thing I'm going to plug right now please review the podcast on iTunes. If you're somebody that listens to us on Overcast or Stitcher, thank you so much for doing so. But if you can, subscribe and rate the podcast on iTunes. I cannot tell you how much those reviews help when it comes to coming up in searches and recommendations from Apple and iTunes itself. It it really matters. I know it might not seem like it does, but 30 seconds can make a real difference in the ability for the show to get exposure. And the more exposure we get, the better guests we can bring on the show, which hopefully in turn will, you know, make more people check it out. So please, if you have a chance, go on iTunes and rate the show. Now, I think I've talked enough, so I'm going to play a little bit of music from the Money Pits album so that you can hear what all the fuss is about. And then I'm going to get into my conversation with Bobby. It's a little longer than some of our recent episodes, but it's really worth it. So please reach out on Twitter at Inside Music Pod and let us know your thoughts. And above all, enjoy the show. We drank beers in a parking lot by the airport Watching the cloudbirds take off Shed some tails and some unmitigated deals 
Doing well, dude. How are you? I'm awesome. You're so you're all hopped up on your Star Wars toys right now. <laughs> I am. I mean, that's a that's a good place to start. Uh, we'll, we'll start there actually. So I had this idea that I would go out like last night because I forget that I'm like closer to thirty than I am to twenty. Where I'm like, oh, I'll totally go buy <laughs> toys at midnight, like no problem. Even yeah. though I, even though I had like no evening plans, so from like end of dinner till when I eventually fell asleep, I had like nothing going on, but like hanging out with my lady and playing with cats being like, Oh, I can totally stay up all night. No, nothing to worry about. (laughs) And then like the kicker to it all is, is that like, I I try, I kind of fell asleep at like 10 and I woke up at 11 feeling like wide awake. And for like 10 seconds, I was like, eh, I could go now decided against it. And then I ended up driving to like four stores this morning. (laughs) Dude, that's, that's some dedication to those uh, Star Wars toys. <laughs> I didn't even want to be that dedicated. That's why I didn't go out at midnight. I was like, I'm not that nerd. And then this morning, <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting in a parking lot at Target, like surrounded by middle-aged men. Uh, well, you, probably had to, you probably had to do a little, uh, a little homework to figure out what places didn't open up at midnight because everything sold out at midnight last night. Yeah, yeah. So like the Target website like listed the stores that would open at midnight, and the one closest to me here in the city, like nowhere in Boston, actually opened at midnight. So like, so I, I was sitting in the parking lot. So I kid you now, this is, this actually happened. I was sitting in the parking lot, and this car pulled up next to me, and the guy had his window rolled down. I didn't really look out at first, but I kind of I looked at him, and I was like, oh, he kind of looks familiar, but I I don't really know anyone out here, so I, I never like assume that I know the person that I see. I'm just like, oh, they must look like somebody that I know. But then he has his window down, and I look over, and it's my ups guy but he's like out of his ups <laughs> uniform and he's just like jimmy shoots you like star wars and i was like i do man and then like it was, he, it was like we're all coming down here i was like what do you mean and i kid you not like five ups trucks pulled out and all of the drivers got out to buy star wars toys <laughs> he's like kylo ren buddy kylo yeah. ren. dude don't you want one of those bb8s i do man i do <laughs> BBA, he's like this little ball. He rolls around, but he's a droid too. Yeah, he has a he has a head, but he's a ball, and the ball moves, and the head stays on top. How does it work? <laughs> there were there were like three there were like three security guards at Target. It was crazy. I was like, come on, we're not dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's probably like the the least dangerous like subset of human being in the world. Yeah, a bunch of older men who don't want anyone to touch them or look at them. We're just like, S- just don't touch the toys, please. Like, like I remember Beanie, Beanie Babies were this huge craze, like, I don't know, 15 years ago or 20 years ago. And uh, there would be, like, riots where these, like, middle-aged women would, like, line up in front of stores to buy Beanie Babies. And some limited edition one would come out and they'd get in fights and stuff. And that would never happen at Star Wars because someone would just say something mean and the other guy would say, you hurt my feelings. Yeah, that was rude. <laughs> I don't appreciate that thing you said. These are, these aren't the Funkos you're looking for. Yeah, there, it was it was super weird today because there were so many people out buying like the big expensive items, and like my thing is that like I feel like I was burned by the first three episodes where like I didn't want to buy anything that was like above fifty dollars because I was like if my guess whatever I buy will be the thing that is the jar jar of the new movies. 
So I'm yeah. like, I don't, I don't want to spend like eighty dollars. Like that, that BB-8 that rolls around, like it looks cool, but it's one hundred and fifty bucks for something that may end up being like the Jar Jar of the Force Awakens. Oh my gosh! Like what if like BB-8 looks so cool, but what if like you watch the movie and bb 8s like super annoying, like bb 8s like Jar Jar or like Poochie from The Simpsons, you know? Yeah, <laughs> it's just it's super useless. <laughs> Like, and it's a cool toy, but in my head, I'm like, I'm going to chase my cats around with that thing. And that's about the only use I have for it is like how my cats react. What if BB-8 has like some screen on his head that like, he like posts emojis. <laughs> and it's just like super annoying. They're like, hey, let's make a character that'll really relate to these teens. <laughs> yeah, he still does that beeping stuff, but like in a way, you know what he means. <laughs> let's make a language for the droids yeah that's i i have those fears so like i safely bought three new characters and then i got chewbacca and c-3po because i'm like those are reliable like i'll always love those two. Oh, for sure classic <laughs> the new characters that we can sell them if we have to yeah i mean there's there's definitely a risk factor there but i i trust jj and the rest of the you know it it, it just seems like you know they they were kind of, you know, in the know about what was not working with the uh, prequel trilogy and were like, okay, let's do this again, but let's do it right. You know, and I, I'm excited about that. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, I keep feeling it feels right this time. That's a good way to put it. Like, it just feels like it's going to happen this time. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I really trust all the talent involved. I, I, I just, JJ Abrams is like, he's never let me down. I, I just, I think, uh, I'm really, really excited. Especially, dude, after I saw Finn holding his lightsaber, I was like, oh, shit. Like, that's when it became real for me. Like, I was excited about, you know, the teaser trailer and the trailer and all that kind of stuff. And it all looked cool. But, you know, I, part of me was still being um, reluctant to buy in because we did get burned so bad by the prequel trilogy. And, you know, so even seeing, like, Kylo Ren with his lightsaber, I'm like, I want to be shitting my pants and being excited right now, but I'm going to hold back because I don't want to get hurt again. And then when I saw Finn like ignite his blue lightsaber, I was like, oh, fuck, it's Star Wars. <laughs> uh, yeah, his blue lightsaber, that is actually Luke Skywalker's lightsaber, if you're paying attention. Yes, that, that is correct. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm lost. I, I, what I believe is that it's the lightsaber that when Luke Skywalker's uh, wrist was cut off uh, on Bespin, um, and his hand went down the chute, but that lightsaber was retrieved. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. That's that's what I believe it is, too. Okay. Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's the nerdy stuff. Like, my dad and I, like, we don't have deep conversations about anything except nerdy stuff, and so, like, this year, we've had, like, the most deep conversations of our adult, like, father-son relationship, <laughs> being like, did you see? I did see. Oh, like, le like, yesterday, when they did the big toy unboxing, we were, like, texting each other gifts, being like, look at this drone falcon. Don't you want this? <laughs> he, he's like 50, I'm 28. It's, it's, a, it's a good relationship that we have, healthy. Did you, did you see the, the BB-8 that you're going to be able to control using your uh, iPhone? Yeah, yeah, gorgeous. God, dude, like, I want that so bad. <laughs> like, there's no practical use for it, and like, it's not like my wife will ever let me play with it, but like, I would just like, take it up to my roof and drive it around on the roof. It's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was my thing. I was like, I wanted it immediately. And then like five seconds later, I was like, but what would I do with it? Like, I don't, there's no use for it. And it's so small that it's like, it's not even like you could take it outside and play with it and not worry that you were going to break it. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I want one. Everyone I know wants one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Well, dude, it's like, like we're talking about Force Friday, but it, it's kind of Money Pit Friday, too. It's every band Friday. Dude, like, so every band ever was like, hey, you know what? A good day to release a record would be September 4th. <laughs> Actually, just the, if we want to extend that, the month of September this year, every band is it's, releasing an album. <laughs> it's crazy. Like, apparently this is, this is where it's at. Like, we had no idea. We didn't really even have a plan. Like, we, we didn't even know if we were going to release the record. And then, you know, one day Nick, like, texts me. He's like, hey, I've got a name for Because we didn't have a name for the band this whole time. And he's like, I got a name for the band, The Money Pit. And I was like, awesome. So we just posted the song online that morning. We're like, hey, look, we're a band. <laughs> and so this this was all just kind of flying by the feet of our pants and we're just like okay what day how about it was like we were blindfolded and just poked at a calendar and then we opened up and oh september 4th <laughs> yeah so let's oh gosh i don't even know where to start let's let's start with the money pick because i feel like that's the easiest one uh what's so what is the origin there so when does it start so y- you and nick like come together and decide to start working on new material like when does this happen um probably I guess like a year and a half ago, it was maybe less than that. It was, it was last summer. So summer of 2014, um, I hadn't, I hadn't picked up a guitar or played guitar in years. And, um, it had just been, you know, my guitar was just sitting under my bed, like collecting dust. And I, I was just in corporate world with my job and, um, you know, was like, I, I, I just kind of really pulled away hardcore from music, you know, like, you know, we did Gatsby's and then I did a, you know, a, a side project called search rescue with some of the acceptance guys. Um, and then I did uh, places and numbers, which equal vision put out and I did some touring on that stuff. And, um, but you know, I don't know, like, Oh, and then, and then near the tail end of all that, we did like the kind of faux Gatsby's, Union where we we did some new songs and played some festivals. We went out and did like skate and surf and South by Southwest and some warp tour dates and some dates to Taken Back Sunday and stuff. And um, the that Gatsby's thing just like imploded so violently that like I was just like no more, not gonna touch music for a long time because it, it was just such a huge disappointment how it all kind of fell apart just as things were kind of picking up steam yeah yeah, yeah. before um, real quick before you go on yeah i i guess yeah. that would probably be a better part to start i mean i was gonna get back there but now that you brought it up like we should we should talk <laughs> about that because that was like the very first thought i had where i was like when when you first started when i first started hearing the money pit songs i was just like so my first instinct was I was like are these all the gatsby songs that never came out after untitled because because <laughs> it seemed like you guys are had an album on the way in 2011 like it seemed like you were gearing yeah. up to do it and i was like born dead born dead got renamed to untitled after the japan thing and it was like yeah. okay you hit that it was like you hit a little curve and i was like all right but they still put the song out it's still coming and then and then it just kind of like we just stopped talking about it like the scene just kind of stopped talking about it and you guys kind of went away again and i was like well what happened <laughs> <laughs> well I mean, it, it, here's the thing, and I, it's something I, I've always, you know, really respected the guys in my band about. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why I respect the guys in Gatsby. You know, it was a, a very special group of people, and we did things very differently from most bands. And, you know, we could always hold our head high about the way that we, you know, handled our business and stuff. But, like, we never, ever let, you know, band drama outside of the band. And, you know, it, it, it's just, like, things were not you know, we were really excited about the idea because we'd been away from it for four, four years. And, 
you know, we started working on songs and there was some magic happening where, you know, I'd write some music and send it to Nick and he'd record vocals over it. And it was like, oh my God, this is amazing. This is the best stuff we've ever done. So we were so excited and that kind of enthusiasm kind of, um, you know, it, it was like the excitement of a new romance or, or something where, or rekindled romance where, you know, <clears throat> the momentum of that really pulled us through and we kind of turned a blind eye to some of the underlying problems that caused us to break up in the first place. And um, so, you know, once we got over that initial burst of excitement and we started recording, it's like some of those old problems started kind of creeping up and the process became more and more difficult just as the internet was beginning to find out about us uh, making new music and we were out playing the festivals. And so there was this huge hype train like at exactly the same time where I kind of came to the conclusion that we can't, you know, I can't do this with these guys, you know, and like time, time heals all wounds and you do grow and change so much. Like, you know, I'm a much different person now than I was when Gatsby's initially broke up back in 2006, I think it was, or 2007. Um, but, but there were, there were still so many underlying issues that hadn't been resolved that, you know, that group of, the particular group of guys was just not a healthy working relationship. And, you know, and I, you know, I was, I've definitely, you know, I think that was a big learning experience for me too, where I was like, I'm not going to attach myself at the hip uh, with people or invest so deeply in a project that I know is going to turn into just a clusterfuck at some point. <laughs> so, so we, you know, we all just kind of decided to, you know, pump the brakes and just be like, yo, this isn't, this isn't working. I don't want to waste a bunch of Equal Vision's money making a record that I have no intentions of uh, touring on or, or really supporting because of, you know, the, this, this kind of chemistry that's going on. Um, so, you know, we, we basically just pulled the plug on the whole thing, just, you know, poof, it was done. And, and I think it's a testament to the respect that we hold for each other that, you know, no, you know, yeah, nobody ever did find out what was going on within the band. Like there wasn't people getting on social media and talking shit, whatever social media was back then. What was that? Like MySpace? Yeah. I, we were, it was still a, a little bit of a wild West. <laughs> so, so yeah, I mean, that's, you know, that was it, it that was basically what what happened and um but but it was it was kind of devastating to me because we'd really put a lot into it and you know there was i guess you know when it took a lot for Gatsby to break up in the first place because we you know we'd been working really really hard for like seven years and touring full time and we we toured harder than just about any band I knew from that era and and you know we didn't make it easy for ourselves you know with the kind of music we were playing it's you know we were always at odds with our record labels and, you know, just not making music that was super accessible or easy to define. So it was like, it was such an uphill struggle the whole way, you know, every, every tour that we tried to get on, you know, it's like you send the music to the booking agent and the booking agent will be like, I, I don't get it. You know what? I, I just don't understand this band. Why should, why are they a good fit for this tour again? And, and then it was like, well, shit, we're not a good fit for any tour because like, like there's nobody doing exactly what we're doing. I'm not like saying you're, fucking geniuses or anything like that but but just like it, it there wasn't like a genre that we fit in really easily so when we started hitting pay dirt and getting these like really great tours it was like oh my god i can't i can't believe you know matchbook romance has taken us out on tour i can't believe the starting line is taking us out on tour i can't you know and, and all these doors started opening for us after like years and years of of working so hard so so for us to walk away from it you know and at, at that point was really really tough because we had just put so much into it and um and so like rekindling that excitement and and like allowing myself to or you know all of ourselves to 
kind of be vulnerable again and to kind of like believe like, Hey, we can do this again back in 2011. Um, you know, that was a really tough thing to do to kind of open up to it again. And then when it collapsed, um, you know, I was just personally devastated and I, that's why I just, I put my guitar under my bed and didn't touch it again. I was just like, I'm not, you know, fuck music. I'm not, you know, doing anything ever again. <laughs> and, and so it was, it was just last summer. Um, and I know it's a long story. I'm sorry. Oh, take all <laughs> um, your time. I'm, I'm fine. <laughs> um, so, so it was just last summer that I finally, um, pulled my guitar out from under the bed and it was, I mean, it still had like the strings on it from back, you know, when we were working on stuff, you know, I literally hadn't done anything, you know, and, and it just, I was like, you know what, I'm going to pick up my guitar and see if I can still play because I bet I'm terrible. And I picked it up and I, I started playing and it was just like magic. It was like not a second had passed. Like I, there was no rust. It was just like, holy shit, I can still play guitar. It's like riding a bike. It's crazy. And, um, so, you know, then I, I, I put a garage band on my iPad and I was like, all right, let me see if I can try recording some guitar parts. And just on a whim, I started just riffing, making up random stuff. Um, and within about, I don't know, 20 or 30 minutes, I had uh, basically the skeleton for the song control everything, which is the first song we de- debuted on the uh, internet. Um, and uh, I was like, Whoa, this is cool. You know? And so I sent it to Casey Bates and I was like, dude, I, I actually picked up my guitar. I tried to make a demo today. I sent it to him. He's like, this is really cool. And I was like, no, I mean, it's, it's cool. I'm, you know, fucking around, but he's like, no, this is like really good. Like you should keep going. So, so I started doing more demos, more demos. And then just this unbottling phase happened where I just dumped so much music out. I mean, it was like, you know, with Gatsby's, it was like, like we would write like, you know, 10 to 15 songs in a year and like maybe between 10 and 13 of them would make the record. And that was it. And this was like within a period of like, three or four months, I wrote like 40 songs. Like I was just like, just all this stuff was just like pouring out. And, you know, as the songs were becoming more fleshed out, um, I, uh, I started like thinking like, gosh, you know, I've got so much material here. I, I want to make a record. Like I, I, I can't sing and I don't really know what to do with it. So, you know, me and Casey discussed it and we decided to send some of the demos to Nick to just see what happened, see what would happen. And, um, Nick sent back, uh, I think the first song I sent to him was, uh, the destroyer, um, which is that kind of middle interlude song on the record. And Nick, Nick sends it back to me a few days later with these vocals on it and these lyrics on it. And I was just like, this is so fucking cool. I was like getting, you know, goosebumps. Like I'm, you know, like I, like I'm the biggest like detractor hater of myself and my music, but I'm also like, the biggest fan of my music. <laughs> and so like he, hearing it with his vocals on it and stuff, like I just was like, as a fan, I was like, Oh my God, this is so cool. We have to make more of this. So I started sending them more songs and we were, we were easing into it because, you know, we didn't really know if we even liked each other at this point, you know, cause and I don't like each other. We, there's always fondness, but we didn't know if we were comfortable, I guess, with the working relationship again. And I sent him more music and he sent me back more stuff and, he he just had this fire and this inspiration, um, you know, where the stuff he was writing, there was just some magic about it where it was really speaking to me as a as an adult and, you know, the things that he he was kind of unbottling. Um you know, it, it, it felt like the right fit for what what was coming out of me musically. And so we sat down and kinda of hashed the stuff out and we talked about, you know, we talked about a lot of the underlying issues that caused Gatsby's to implode in the first place and then you know, things that we hadn't really addressed back when we tried to 
do the Gatsby's reboot back in 2011. And, you know, we, we, we basically talked about everything. We got, you know, all everything out uh, in the open and, and it was really, it was really healthy and really cathartic. I mean, it was almost like therapy for us. And, and then, and then we just started going to town working on the record and the rest is, you know, I know it's a long story, but that's kind of how it all came together. So just to, just so I'm like clear on everything here, um, go back, you talk for so long. I got to like go back to earlier in your story. We'll work your way forward. <laughs> um, so when Gatsby's kind of like imploded and that was all done, are the, were the two songs that you guys had released the only two you had like recorded up to that point? No, no, there's like a, there's a lost EP. Like there's like, that's what I, I was, yeah, was, I was like, wondering. <laughs> yeah. There was like six, six songs or seven songs that we had, we had done. Like I, I recorded all the guitars and Rudy had done all the drums. And then, you know, the, in the midst of the rest of the recording process is when it all kind of melted down. Um, <laughs> and, you know, we never, we never really got, uh, you know, bass or, or the second guitar or, you know, there's, there, there are vocals on like four songs, maybe five songs. Um, but they're, they're just floating around on some hard drive somewhere. Like I recently found, um, some of the, uh, the tracks that are just, guitar and drums so it's just me playing guitar and rudy on drums um in my inbox from like casey sending out like you know rough uh, comps of the drums from back then and so i was like you know i had my buddy uh one of my buddies here over and we were just drinking beers and i was like oh shit and so we, we were bumping it on the loudspeakers it was like a like a time capsule because it's not it's just weird when you know you record like all these songs and you have all these big ideas for them and then you don't realize the vision you know it's like most of the time, you know, if, if you pop on a Gatsby's record, it's it's just kind of like, oh yeah, I've heard this a billion times. But this stuff was like, you know, you know, we I put so much into it, and then it, it kind of disappeared in the sands of, of time, and you know, has been buried. And so it's it's really it's really interesting finding this this uh, unfinished uh, piece of work. That is that is going to be like the talk of alternative music legend from now on. This lost EP. <laughs> <laughs> well, one one of the songs, one of the songs. Because someone asked me this also um, recently was, uh, did, there, did any of this, that music end up on this Money Pit record? And the answer is almost no. So the whole record, the Money Pit record, is all like brand new material that you know was written in the past year, uh, year and a half. And but the, the the one song was "Call the Cops" um, on the Money Pit record was uh, the a, a bunch of chunks of that actually came from uh, one of the songs uh, on the unreleased Gatsby's uh, EP. So Casey Casey was like diddling around and just searching through his old hard drives and stuff, and he found the sessions to the old Gatsby's EP. And um, he he was you know he he cut out stuff that he didn't like and then kind of comped it together into a song that really fit for the Money Pit and gave it to Nick and then Nick recorded vocals over it and this was all kind of like a surprise to me and then they sent it to me they're like ta da and I was just like oh gosh this is super fucking cool it's like it's got that kind of like Fallout Boy beat you know and and like it it it's like it's kind of upbeat and a little bit different from the rest of the record and um, so then you know we didn't we didn't use the you know, chopped and pasted computer version of it. Like we actually went and re-recorded it. We recorded real drums and, you know, I recorded all the guitars and it's, it's, you know, it's really us and stuff. And, um, but uh, it was, it was very interesting how that kind of came together. And I, I'm really happy that song's on the record because it, it kind of picks up the pace, you know, in a way that we don't do on most of the other songs. 
Yeah, there is there is kind of like a, not necessarily a chill wave vibe, but there is something a little bit relaxed about the kind of the groove that the record eventually finds. I think like yeah. it, really, it really comes out in like Killing Time in Hawaii. Like at that point, you, you kind of really the, the groove is very obvious on that song where it's like driving at night almost is the way I always describe it to people where I'm like, it's that kind of stuff you listen to when you're on that open stretch of highway. Yeah. <laughs> Road it's, trip music. It's weird. It's weird. So are, do you play music? Are you a musician? Yeah, I've, I play guitar. I haven't in a long time uh, because I got better at writing about musicians, but <laughs> I, I do still play. I still dabble. <laughs> well, like I get, I get into these grooves where like, you know, where I'm just ripping and stuff to a, to a click track and I just, I set my BPMs, you know, and I, it's like this, we used to be up in like the, you know, high 160s, you know, mid 170s as far as tempo goes. And now we're like, you know, a lot of times like 20 BPM slower than that. And um, it's, it's definitely just kind of an era of, you know, my songwriting process, I guess, because we were, we were way faster than that. I mean, when me and Casey Bates uh, both started doing music at first, we were really into all the fat wreck, you know, punk rock type stuff like no effects and propaganda and Lagwagon. So we were like rocking the punk beat and like, you know, 200 BPMs and stuff. And it's, it's definitely kind of eased down. And I think, I think the next thing I'm going to do actually is going to be a lot faster. Um, but, but yeah, this is definitely, I think, yeah, like my, my friends who have like, you know, you know, we've been musical friends forever. When I, I showed them the record and stuff, they're all like, like, dude, you were just grooving. This is like chill. <laughs> I like that. I mean, I, I like a record that you can put on and you feel like you can listen to the entire thing because there is that like groove. So if it fits your mood, if the first song fits your mood, you can listen to the entire album without being like, oh, and then halfway through they get angry or, the, you know, whatever the, whatever the case yeah. may be where you're like, it's half the record is good for this and half the record is good for that. It's kind of like a, you can chill, you can do the whole thing in one listen and it feels cohesive. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a big part of sequencing too when you're making a record. Like putting the song orders is always the toughest thing for me. And Casey has such a more specific view about it. So I just kind of let him do what he wants once I've turned in all the tracks. Um, but like it's, it, it, like I, I, you know, I read a I read a review the other day, and yes, I do read reviews, and they're they're fun to read. I love it, <laughs> but but like someone was saying, this record's great. Like I disagree with the sequencing, and I'm just like, oh, that's on Casey. <laughs> interesting, interesting. I hadn't I hadn't heard anyone complain about the sequencing, but that you know, on the other side, whenever as somebody that like writes a ton of reviews and reads reviews, it depends on who's writing it. But sometimes when I see someone say like, I don't really like the sequencing, I'm like, you're just trying to sound like you know more about music than you do. Because they're like, I don't have a reason to hate this album, but I don't love it necessarily. So I'm going to pick a technical term to be like, this is why it's not good. The mixing is a little, the mixing doesn't fit my expectations. You're like, you don't know what mixing is. <laughs> That's funny. Well, it's like, think, think about some of your favorite records. Like, I was talking to somebody about, uh, you're a Third Eye Blind fan, yeah? Yeah, definitely. Okay. So I was talking to somebody about the original Third Eye Blind record, the self-titled one, um, uh, I don't know, a few weeks ago. And like the last, like the last, like five or six songs on that record are absolutely insane. Amazing. And it, it's, it's it's such a deep record and like it, it's the weirdest thing because like I didn't even listen to those songs for like the first five years I had that record, you know, because like it was like you pop it on when you're in the car when you're doing something, you know, or when you're going to sleep and and it's like there's you know it, it was very seldom that you get to that the end of that record and then 
you know, one day I was, I don't know if we were like on tour or when, but I like had a lot of spare time and I was like, you know what, I'm going to start the record at track seven and just see what happens. And I was like, wow, these are some like some gems here. And like now, like those songs at the end of that record are some of the favorite songs, you know, in you know, all of, you know, my cattle, you know, everything that I own. Like, I, I love those songs, but it's, <clears throat> it is such a, a weird thing where you're like, all right, do we, do we put the very best songs, uh, you know, right at the top of the record so that we can, you know, suck people in, win people over because they're probably not going to get to the end of the record anyways, or do we want the record to have more balance to be a more complete experience? And, and that's where we've, you know, we've come to, you know, it's like, it's, I want, I want the record to play well the whole way through. It's like, I don't want to just blow my load within the first like three tracks, you know, and sometimes that's at the expense of like, you know, you don't really wow people with your best thing at first. Like, I think the best song on a record should, you know, typically be like track three or four, you know, but uh, like, I know when we were working with a record label, it's like they always want like that, all that fucking money song to be like the, the first song because that's what people are going to get hot and bothered about and tell all their friends about. No, you make a good point. I was actually, I'll actually admit that like it took me uh, a few years to love everything on the Gatsby's Volcano record after sh I'm listening to Reason because the first seven tracks were always like the single is in the first seven tracks and like those were always yeah. the song that everyone would want to talk about. It was like shh and everything earlier on the record. And it took me a long time to be like, but the back half is good too, guys. Like I know there's not a single <laughs> buried back there, but that's okay. <laughs> Even though it's a concept record, so I guess the sequencing plays a little bit more of a role in that case but that's it that was like when you said that i was like that's how i felt about volcano because i feel like i fell in love with it years later because i learned to love the back half of the record as much as i had initially loved the first half of the record and you're just like oh, you kind of get to like fall in love with an album again where you're like oh there's another something i didn't realize before oh totally well do you like minus the bear yeah dude like so uh highly refined i mean i love i love everything on minus the bear but like Tyler Refined Pirates. Like, I love that record. That record was, like, soundtrack to years of my life. And, you know, but, like, yeah, it was the same thing where, like, I never really spent a lot of time with the back end of the record. And then, you know, one day I finally was like, oh, let's spend some time with this. And, like, my, I think it's called uh, Let's Play Guitar in a Five Guitar Band. <laughs> the, the um, it's, it's a deep cut on the record. And it's like a, it's kind of a slow burn. And it's this like this song about um, you know kind of a, a lost love, um, and uh, it gets to this this piece at the very very end of the song where it, it like it breaks down into this like piano part, and he just he he says these like these lines that are just like holy shit, this is so powerful, and like this it's literally like my favorite piece of music like ever, like I and, and like I I never even like discovered it until like years later and now it's like whenever i hear that i, I get chills and i'm still it's you know i think it's those songs that you you first gravitate towards um you know you end up i don't know if, if, if you play them out or if they're just a little bit more disposable because you know that's what they were meant to be was to hook people in and you find the meat and potatoes later on yeah, yeah. I mean, that's those are always the best records to me. It might take you a little longer to fully appreciate them, but in the long run, you're always like, oh, there's so much here to appreciate in a, like a deep level, like you, as you're describing. So let me tell what's you. Your, uh, oh, go ahead. What? No, go oh, ahead. What's, what's your favorite Minus the Bear record? Oh, gosh, man. El Oso, probably. Oh, I love Minus El Oso. So, they're playing the 10-year uh, tour on it. I'm so excited. 
Yeah, yeah, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be like going to a college reunion you never wanted, but I'm excited. <laughs> I'm so excited. It's been, that's been a fun thing about the acceptance shows has been like, like you know, really being able to appreciate seeing them. Like, because we played with them, I don't know, a hundred times or something back in the day, and like we toured with them, and we, I mean, we've seen them play, and all they ever played was Phantoms, you know. So we've seen them play that like a bazillion times. And I was like, oh, great, they're playing that song. <laughs> and, and then they broke up, and you're like, what the fuck? And, and like, so, so now it's like all these years later when you get to see them play, it, it, it's like, it's, it's cathartic, but it's like, it's such, a, it's such a neat experience being able to, like, appreciate it, you know, because it's like you never appreciate what you have until it's gone, and then it's gone forever, where it's like, well, no, it's not, because it's back for a little bit, and now I can have a second chance at really enjoying it and just, like, saying, okay, put everything aside and just enjoy this. And, and like, I mean, uh, it, it, honestly, like watching them play the three or four times that we saw we you know, played with them recently. It was just like some of the best like live experiences I've ever had. It's really cool. Yeah. What was, what was that like? Not just watching uh, acceptance, but how was it getting back on stage and kind of introducing the money pit to people? Um, it was, I don't know, there's no, um, I know I sound like, uh, it was okay. <laughs> it was awesome. I mean, it, it was, it was a really incredible experience to be able to play our first, you know, batch of shows opening for them because the shows were like all sold out and just insane. And, you know, it, we didn't have that experience when we were starting with Gatsby's if we were playing to like five people at comic book stores and pizza shops and stuff. <laughs> and so like to like get on our first, you know, show was like sold out at the show box in Seattle you know it was just like surreal like awesome i can't believe like thank thank you to acceptance um so that was very cool it was very different being you know on stage playing these songs versus gatsby songs because like the gatsby songs you know were so technical you know in a lot of ways that like you're rocking out and you're so invested in you, you know the the craft and and in playing you know executing these parts that you know you don't even have time to think about like oh are people enjoying this or you know whatever you're just so like caught up in it and just trying not to fuck up and with these songs like there's i mean you know these parts are still awesome like i think i think you know the the musicianship is still here for these but there is like such a more comfortable groove where it's just kind of like we're we're like hanging out and it's not like we're playing music that anyone could really mosh to so it's more kind of a bob your head type of music so that was it was different. It, you know, it was just, it was a different, a different experience that, you know, I hadn't even considered until we got on stage and then we started playing and I was like, Whoa, this is very different than playing Gatsby songs on stage. But, but it was, uh, it was fun. Definitely a trip down memory lane, seeing Nick up there singing and rocking out to the crowd and stuff. Like it was like, damn, it's been a long time. <laughs> uh, well, let's talk about the record. I guess, I guess my, my question I've had since like day one, like what's with the title? What's with Yeti? Yeti? <laughs> people people aren't even supposed to know about Yeti. <laughs> so, the record the record is self titled. So sorry, this is this is when Nick does podcasts. It's like, dude, because he started telling people about the band and saying it was called Cannons and stuff, and I was like, ah, we were not talking about it yet. We weren't really set on that band name, and um and then like you know people started talking about it and and then that kind of spiraled out of control before we could really even get a handle on it and so yeah we like one band name we were kicking around with cannons and then we figured out that was taken so we thought of a different spelling for cannons and then we were just like oh it's just stupid so um but the the temp name for the record at that time was yeti because we 
we'd seen some art from a guy that we were uh, thinking about uh, using for, for the record where he made this kind of like impressionist. It, it was more like a, what do you, what do you call it? Like a kind of a Rorschach type of, you know, ink blot. Okay. And you look at, you look at it and kind of decide what it is. It was, it was white ink on a black background. And, um, you know, I was just like, well, it's clearly a Yeti. And, and they were like, Oh yeah, it's an abominable snowman. That's what I thought too. And, and so that that was just kind of a temp name that we were sitting on, but you know, and that's I thought I, I hate when the like I like being real and like I don't want to be pretentious and stuff, but I I part of me hates when some of the behind the scenes process becomes visible to the public because you haven't really fleshed out the ideas yet or really you know figured out what it is and and you know a lot of a lot of art is discovery more than just forcing something into existence. You know, it's like you you kind of spend time with something and then you realize what it is and and so yeah the the yeti thing was was definitely something we were toying with i mean we dude, we almost made the uh we were going to call you we were going to call the record like chill out and had the cover was going to be like Arnold schwarzenegger from uh batman and robin when he was mr freeze <laughs> like that was something we were fucking around with and we were seriously considering it because we were just having so much fun and laughing so hard about it and, um, but you know, it's like those, those ideas need to happen within a vacuum so that we can like flush them out and then see if that would actually service what the record is about. And then we can, you know, go, okay, that's a funny idea, but it's not what we're going to do. And it's nice when that stuff happens, you know, before the world is aware of what's going on so that you can really get to the meat and potatoes about what the record's actually trying to say, and then try to come up with a name for the band and the record and the, you know, everything without having people kind of like questioning it. Does that make sense? No, it totally does. I just remember that uh, for the longest time, the version of the album that I had, all it was labeled as Yeti. So I was just like, I guess the album's called Yeti. Okay. Like it did, <laughs> I'm like looking at the song titles, and I'm like, it doesn't even like fit like any of the themes here. I'm like, it was just, it was like, no, it's, it's so strange. I actually, I didn't, I didn't even see the album art until like two days ago because I, because the version I got, it just had the photo of the two of you guys. And I was like, I guess that works. Like, that's fine. And I was like, oh, there's really album art for it. I like, it was like my whole world changed because you and I have been talking about this album for like two months now. And I was like, I didn't realize that it had artwork other than the one that I've seen. (laughs) Well, that, see, that counts you among exclusive company because the, so there was like, you know, just, I don't know, probably like like a dozen people that had early access to the record before we even had like a name for the record or artwork or anything. So it was like, you know, you and Jason Tate and uh, maybe Jack Appleby. And, you know, there's, there was just several people that, you know, we wanted to have the record to kind of also gauge some feedback and be like, do we we have something here? Should we be releasing this? (laughs) And and so you, uh, you know, you got an early glimpse at it before we even had a name or artwork. So (laughs) I hope it was a fun experience. No, I loved it. I was, it was, it was fun and it was a little, it was always frustrating. It's one of those things where I love when someone lets me hear a record super early and I'm fortunate to be in like a position where that happens more and more frequently, but it always kind of sucks because I, I always am so excited when it arrives and I can tell like one or two people, like I'll tell my lady and be like, oh my gosh, I heard this album today. And then there's like the nine weeks before I can talk to anyone else about it. Like right now I have that with the <laughs> Trivium album that comes out like October 2nd or whatever. And I got it like the first week of yeah. August. And so I've just kind of been like the Trivium album's really good. You haven't heard most of it yet, but when we get there, I'm gonna have a lot to say. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's awesome. Yeah, I love I love when you when you like show someone like you, you let someone hear the record like way early, 
and then they start talking about it on social media. Like, and it's like, dude, what? Don't do that. <laughs> like, like, it's it's really nice and stuff, but it's like it's kind of it's kind of like now now like all of our friends that we haven't given it to are going to start bugging us. Like, hey, this guy has the record. Why can't we have it? Exactly. And that is, and as, as the, as someone that was a blogger that didn't get that access for many years, that is exactly how it works. You email somebody and be like, why the hell does Jason take it to hear this album first? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh yeah. So like, uh, I think like Jason and like Johnny Minardi and Jack Appleby, like we're all yeah. like tweeting that same week and they were like, all like, like album of the year contender. This is a great record, which was also just like, dude, do not hype it up, please. Cause then it's going to like, it's hard to meet people's expectations. And, but then like all of a sudden everybody started hitting us up. Like what the fuck? How come these guys have the record? So then you're just like kind of obligated to start giving it to more people. But we, we stopped it at like, you know, I think like maybe like 12 people were that have it early. And I was like, that's it. We're done. <laughs> so let's, I want to talk about the, the physical release. Well, I guess the vinyl is going to come first. So I know that the guys in Emory are helping you do the vinyl records. So how did that connection kind of come together? I assume that you know each other from back in the day, but like, how did the talk of the vinyl come together? Yeah, we, uh, so we, we toured with Emory like back in the day. Um, oh, I, oh, I remember. <laughs> Dude, it was, it's the funniest like build because you have like Emory, which is like a hardcore screamo band. And then you had us, and then Gym Class Heroes was opening. <laughs> yeah. It was like the weirdest like lineup, but it was a great tour. Like tons of people came Did, out. Was that um, when they had the uh when Emory had the cowboy theme to their set? Yes. They were wearing they were wearing like cowboy hats and trench coats and stuff. That was my favorite Emory tour get up. That was it's just such dude. a good theme. <laughs> oh dude, they went they went for it. They so I don't know if you, how early in the tour you saw it, but like when they started that tour, they they even had like this like musical intro, like these lights were kind of flashing slowly, yeah. and this and there's like thunder going on, and then it said, "Back in the old west, there was an old saying or something like that," and like there's just this whole intro, and then they come out and start like rocking out in their trench coats. It was so awesome. Yes, yes, I very much remember that tour. So that's how you initially got in with them. So how does the vinyl come together? Um, so yeah, so we've been friends with those guys forever. Um, I, Matt, so I, I, I recently moved home to Seattle, you know, when in the midst of us working on this, uh, money pit record and, um, Matt and I kind of got in touch over social media and we, we met up for beers one night and then, you know, he was like, he was like, Oh dude, I really, you know, I want to hear your record. Like I, I've heard this song. Um, and it's, it's really awesome. I want to hear the record. So I sent him the record and he hits me up like the next day and he's just like bobby this, i can't i can't do him without doing like an impression he's like bobby this this record is amazing and um i need to be a part of it in some way <laughs> and i'm like i was like well that thanks man but you know like, i don't like what do you mean like we don't even know what we're doing we're probably just gonna throw it up online and give it to people he's like is it bobby no like this record is very important and we need to like then are you guys going to be putting out a physical copy of this record and, and I was like, probably not, you know, like, you don't, you know, we're not going to be working with a label or anything like that. So we're probably just going to throw it up on TuneCore and, you know, get it out digitally and you know, let people have at it. And, and he, you know, he was just basically like, if, well, if you guys aren't going to be doing anything with it for physical, you know, pr uh, production or distribution, he's like, I would love to, um, uh, you know, kind of get involved and help you guys do that. Cause we have a, a good infrastructure in place from putting out the Emory records ourselves. 
And um, so me and Nick talked about it, and we we're just like, yeah, that would that would be awesome, you know, because we we weren't going to do it anyways, and um, and we love those guys, and they're the nicest dudes, and just have they've got they've got their heads in the right the right place. Like I don't know how, if you know how much about their deal with uh, Tooth and Nail when and when they broke to become independent and just put out their own records, but it's it's very like DIY. It's very you know they they share a lot of the same kind of values we do as far as like integrity of music and stuff and um yeah but it's yeah they, so they they basically you know partnered with us to to actually make the physical uh copy of the vinyls and stuff and the, the vinyl is so cool like i'm so excited for people to see it like the, the the whole experience with like the artwork and the the there's a lot of like um kind of slogan type stuff on the inside that's it's very cool it's very john carpenter rest in peace no, definitely. I, I follow you. I follow you. I actually, I really want to get those guys on to talk about Tooth and Nail. I, I feel like every like third podcast, I go down a rabbit hole about like the glory days of Tooth and Nail with people. So I liked getting <laughs> the artists from like the mid aughts and before because I feel like there's this, there was a period on Tooth and Nail like right, and Emory was like at the tail end of it where they had all of these cool, influential like Christian leaning punk bands, and then that all kind of stopped and now all of those albums are just kind of lost to the early aughts because they're never going to get pressed or anything like that because of all the shuffle ups and stuff. So I like when I find somebody that's like, oh, it really cares about that era in Tooth and Nail because I'm like, it was so important and it's just kind of lost now. <laughs> well, did you, so I was, I was really into Tooth and Nail like um, back in when I was in high school. So like I, I loved MXPX. Everybody loved MXPX. Um, but do you remember Craig's brother? Craig's brother, Goaty Hook, Ace Troubleshooter. Those are my bands. Oh, dude, you know your stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Dude, Craig's brother was like a huge influence on me. And it's like, you know, and you listen to it now and some of the stuff sounds, uh, you know, kind of, you know, wild, but like their their chord progressions and like the the, the way they played guitar and stuff was so cool. Like I loved that band. No, oh, yeah, dude. That those first Craig's Brother albums were huge. That's that's what I'm talking about. Like that '95 to like '05 Tooth and Nail era when they had all those crazy punk bands that were like, it was before I guess the alternative Christian world and the mainstream world just kind of collided and no one gave a shit anymore about how a band associated like they do today. It seems like yeah, like back then yep. there was those division lines and they were just big Christian punk bands or big Christian rock bands and then big punk bands. They were different yep. worlds. <laughs> well, yeah, like I mean. But Tooth and Nail had some, like, legit stuff going on. I mean, like, Further Seems Forever was, like, super legit. Like, that was a great band. Great band. And they would have one big band like that, and then they would have, like, Calibretto 13 and <laughs> all these, like, tiny, tiny bands that would put out, like, one or two records. And they were, like, they never got big, but they were always, like, laid the seeds for something that is, like, now popular. And I'm always like, it's weird that a Christian yeah. punk band did it first. <laughs> and no shoes. one cared. Slick Shoes. Remember Slick Shoes? Slick Shoes were so good. Dude, I love Slick Shoes. Burnout was so awesome. <laughs> I still think of the cover art for Slick Shoes waking up screaming or whatever because it's still hilarious to me with like that that cartoon oh. like kid just screaming in his bed. <laughs> Dude, when like it's funny because like when you're young and like you don't even realize what's cool and what's not cool, you know. So it's like because I wasn't even in a touring band when they were doing that stuff. Like I was still in high school, and then you know, and then I I think like when. Uh, Wake Up Screaming came out was when Gatsby's was just starting and like you know I was excited to hear it like I was a huge fan of that uh, original guitar player Jackson Mold and uh, 
he uh, he had left the band, and so they got this new guy, you know. And so I was, I was kind of curious to hear what the band sounds like. And then I saw the record art. And I was like, oh my god, it's the worst record art I've ever seen. <laughs> and you still remember what it looks like? I know that you saw it in your head as soon as I mentioned it. Oh yeah, I can see I can see the kid right now. Like, it, it, but that was like kind of a, like a transformative moment for me, where it was like, man, it's really important to not make bad art. <laughs> <laughs> and, and when you think about their earlier albums, like they didn't have great art, but you knew when you saw that cover that that like they had taken a turn where you're like, oh yeah, because Burnout is just like those crappy blue flames, but for some oh, reason God, that's so better. <laughs> Dude, all right, the worst the worst record art in the history of record art is uh, Craig's brother lost at sea. Oh yeah, definitely. I, it's like um, it looks like a screenshot from like Curse of Monkey Island, but like worse. <laughs> it really does. That's you know maybe that's what I need to do for like talking to someone from the glory days of Tooth and Nails. Really find their art designer from like back then and be like, <laughs> what was going on? Like, what was it like? <laughs> <laughs> well, but see, the, the thing is, the furthest things forever uh, art was great. Like, I thought they, they like they had very cool stuff. Like, it's it, there was just something weird going on with these like these kind of like maybe it was just that transition like that uh so like the, the whole fat rock fat rec punk you know uh genre was happening and then like tooth and nail started signing these like that all had like terrible artwork and so maybe those guys just didn't get it <laughs> it's true like they that's that's another one of those like things that's very specific to that era in tooth and nail where like most bands had pretty awful album art like ace troubleshooter got out of it because they had that logo like they had that little guy that would go on all their album art <laughs> that little flame-headed guy but otherwise yeah. they would have been the exact same like goatee hooks banana man is just a guy in a banana suit <laughs> yeah they're very well, I, basic <laughs> i hated that spiky head logo guy that um MXPS had. yeah like i I still think that's just the dumbest thing. No offense to them, but like, like, like life in general. I love life in general. That record's just important. And uh, and I think um, slowly going with the Buffalo's a, a pretty cool record too. That's their um, best album in my mind. But oh, thanks it's, for it's great. <laughs> the theme fiasco is so dope. <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, but but like you know like all their all their new stuff. It's like they've like. I don't know if they feel like putting that logo on is important for branding or whatever, but it's on like everything now. It's like the, you know, whenever they make a CD, whenever they are a record or when they make, you know, posters for concerts or do anything, it's like they've got the punk, the, the punk guy and they spell punk rock P U N K R A W K. And I'm just like, why are you doing that? Like, <laughs> It drives me nuts. No, and I'm glad that you brought up those two records because I've always maintained that like Life in General is really great. Slowly Going the Way is my favorite one. But those are the two early ones that don't have that character on them. And I'm always like, but that's great. And you know that Life in General sold like 100,000 copies? Like that band sold a lot of records. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. They were, they, were, they were huge. They were huge. People don't, like that's another one of those things where people don't understand how big the scene, that scene was. And they were like the kings of the Christian pop punk scene and they had the spillover everyone dug that band <laughs> yeah no i mean they were and and i think that they were yeah like they were taken like seriously in kind of you know punk rock circles and stuff you know it's like they put out that uh ep with fat wreck and stuff and fat wreck is really really picky about who they release records for you know it's like there was uh, i think mxcx was a very credible band in the punk scene oh yeah definitely uh life in general is just great it has chick magnet which is still one of their <laughs> best songs <laughs> Dude, the Life in General is such an awesome record. When we were 
when we were playing uh, the acceptance shows, when we were sound check, like, uh, we were playing like songs off life in general, and Jay would come up and sing. It was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> those I also miss those days of MXPX because they would put seventeen songs on an album, and it would still be under fifty minutes. Yeah, and 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 the songs were good. You know, it's like like how often do you even hear a record that has like ten good songs on it, and like. MXPX would put like 18 songs on a record and they would all be good. Yeah, and you would get upset because like they would have the problem where like the best MXPX songs were always like too short where you'd be like, oh, they could do another verse. Like they could be another verse longer. Or or they could do the refrain again, but they wouldn't. It was almost like they always left you wanting more, even though they gave you 18 songs. Well, and and it was never it was never kind of like prog, you know. It's like there was the songs like work, you know. It wasn't like like all oh we're not going to have a single chorus in a song and our songs only you know a minute and ten seconds long. It was like they would do like New York to New to nowhere and like you know they would like repeat parts and it would be like a really catchy song, but it would be like like a minute and a half long. It's like how did you guys do that? <laughs> oh, exactly. I I miss it. I miss it. Well, I'm glad that people listening to this should go and find life in general and slowly go in the way of the buffalo. Even if you think you know MXPX, those two records very important. Yeah, and you know what? I think those songs. I mean, I think life in general and slowly in the buffalo would still be relevant if people went and heard them today. You know, oh, yeah. it's like the there. There's no. There's not this kind of like you know uh, crusty crusty punk vibe to it that like turns a lot of people off. You know and like a lot of their later stuff has that, you know, where it's kind of like this, like almost uh country punk type of vibe to it. And like with, with those records, uh, you know, those records are still super like relevant and like hip to me. I don't know. It's cool. No, I think if those records came out today, like they would, they would still work for like what the pop punk kids seem to be into right now. I feel like tra- songs like tomorrow's another day and stuff. I feel like would just fit right in today where I'm like, it's weird that it's kind of come full circle and it's like MXPX could be cool again. Like, if they just did a reissue series and toured on those records, they could probably do yeah. really well. <laughs> well, the, the recording, the recordings are still super relevant to me, too. Like, I, that record still sounds, I mean, especially Life in General, like, still sounds, like, super fresh to me. Like, it, it, it sounds cool. Like, they, they really just hit the nail on the head, like, what that sound, what that genre sound like back then. Definitely. Well, to get back, get back to your record, I guess. Yeah, so we went down the tooth. <laughs> see, the tooth and nail rabbit hole is real. Because anyone that remembers that real. scene, people want to talk about it because you realize that it's been like four years since anyone mentioned Slick Shoes, and you're like, oh shit, yeah, I used to dedicate my life to Slick Shoes. <laughs> Dude, all right, hold on, hold on. Let me, you can, you can cut as much of this small, out, out of this uh, podcast as you want, because I know we're getting like really long here, but no, you're fine. Um, have, you, have you heard Whippersnapper? No, I don't think I have. Oh my gosh. Dude, um, so this record, you, you can find it on Spotify. Um, you have Spotify? Yeah. Okay. Uh, the record is called The Long Walk. Okay. You will not regret this. If you, <laughs> like, pop the first song on, and, you know, if you if you liked that that whole world with, like, you know, MXPX and Slick Shoes and, like, this later kind of um, iteration of, like, the fat, the more modern Fat Rex stuff, like, that record is, like, you know, uh, it's definitely in like the the top three of like those you know uh, pop punk punk beat kind of records. I mean, it's just it's incredible. You'll you'll shit your pants. Okay, well that'll be a later in the day thing. It'd be a little awkward to shit my pants while still recording. I gotta sit here until we're done. <laughs> that'll be a party foul. Party foul. Yeah, I'm wearing khakis today. It's a whole bad idea, but I will get there. Well, 
But so listen to it and then uh, and text me and let me know what you think because I'm I'm really curious. Oh, definitely, definitely. Um, I do want to. I do have a couple more money money pit things. I guess we should burn through. Uh, okay. <laughs> so um, so do you do you have a release date for the vinyl yet? This fall fall. Pardon me. Does the vinyl have a release date? Uh, I, it's October something. I, it's on our website. I think October tenth, maybe. Okay. Okay. So that's not that far away. Yeah, it, it, vinyls vinyls just take forever, and yeah, like the do. the pressing plants for vinyls are always like you know oh we're you know it's going to be an extra like three weeks or something. So I don't if it even comes out when you know the agreement we have from the vinyl pressing plant, I'd be really surprised. But uh, it's true, you know it that's that's what it's aiming for. I've never even heard of a vinyl like coming out when it's supposed to, but <laughs> I'll keep my fingers crossed and think positive. One time, I, I will say that one time earlier this year, uh, my label Antique had a record arrive five days early, and I thought, like, I had died. I was like, really? Like, it's here today? Like, they were like, they were, I was like, is something, is there something wrong with the pressing? Like, what's, what's going to fall How apart here? Possible? But for people that aren't in hey, vinyl, speaking... it is, I was going to just say real quick, for people that aren't in vinyl, it is, yeah. it is crazy because, like, we just had an album get delayed, like, six weeks, and the, the excuse was literally there is a heat wave in Czechoslovakia right now and all the plants yeah. are delayed. And you're just like, what? Like, no, what? exactly. <laughs> it's, it's, it's absolutely insane. Speaking <laughs> of which you're yeah. putting out our, you're putting out our cassette. Yeah, we are. And it will not take that long to get back. Cassettes are easy. <laughs> no, you're, I mean, you're probably going to have it ready to go before the vinyl comes back. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. We haven't picked out when we're going to order them yet, but we've been working on it. I was thinking about doing it as a black Friday deal. I guess we could figure it out right now. Like it could be fun to do it in November. I just want to give the guys in Emory time to get their money back. Cause I make vinyl and I understand that headache. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, the cassette, the cassette's not going to prevent people from ordering the, the it shouldn't. Vinyl. I mean, like, no, like, you know what? I was going to buy the vinyl, but I found out there's a cassette. So fuck that. <laughs> like, said nobody ever. <laughs> yeah the tapes the tape will suffice yeah <laughs> yeah yeah no, no that's I'm, I'm so excited that you're working with us on that that's awesome Dude, yeah i am too we didn't have a lot of fall we have a lot of fall things but i try to keep it open because tapes are one of those things where they can pop up and we can do them in like a short amount of time so i try to like keep it open so that someone can come along and be like it's money pit record because i i love the money pit record and i want to do it on vinyl but i we're in a position where i was like i heard it after we have committed to our vinyl for the fall and i was like crap i've already yeah. like i've already spent my budget for the end of 20 i probably spent my budget in to 2016 to be honest but uh, i was like there's no way we're going to be able to do this on vinyl without like cutting something and then you announced the vinyl i was like all right i can still i can still get it on vinyl and we'll do the tapes or something else that's fine with me like i'm i'm fine with tapes i like tapes i'm i'm the guy i i, I enjoy making them i think they're still fun that's awesome it's a super cool collector's piece it is a cool collector's piece and i actually uh i just saw somebody the scott heisel yesterday he posted a photo on instagram where he had bought one of those 80s cassette tape holders that you would like, keep in your car and he now has one that's like all recent releases that's awesome <laughs> he was like road trip ready and i was like i haven't seen one of those since i was like six that's amazing gosh i dude i was all about cassettes when i was a kid i mean i remember having i had like uh raging against the machine on cassette tape <laughs> i remember learning not to be as horrible as like uh my writing my handwriting not to be as horrible so it could fit in those little lines on the back of blank tapes yeah, because you would have to write the titles in like what was essentially like a centimeter of width, and you'd have to learn how to like fit it all in there. Like, oh shit! Oh my god, my Nirvana Nevermind cassette. I forgot about that. <laughs> 
that's how that stuff goes. Those are things that people today don't have to worry about. There's actually a video that's really popular on the internet this week of some lady showing her, like showing her kids a Walkman and like asking them to like put a tape in it. And it's like five minutes long and this kid cannot figure out like how to flip the tape to fit it in the Walkman. They're like, what is this? How does this, how does it work? Why doesn't it go in every way you try? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, it's so funny. (laughs) Uh, Do you guys, do you guys have more money pit shows coming up? Um, at the moment, no, we, we had something come up for September where we're not going to be able to play, but we have, we have some shows that are, uh, kind of, uh, coming together that we haven't, uh, confirmed on yet, but we'll, we'll be playing some shows throughout the fall. We want, we want to grab some, um, some West coast dates and, you know, get down to, uh, California again. And acceptance, uh, said that they're planning on doing the East coast, at some point in the next several months and they want us to come out with them in Amorosa. So that'll probably happen at some point, but it's uh, nothing's confirmed yet. Oh, that's fun. I mean, I assumed you guys have, you guys have like real lives cause you're adults. Yeah. Like that's <laughs> a little bit. Here, I, I like, there. I like talking to people in your position more because I, I feel like I relate to them more where it's like, yeah, there's, I would love to go out and do that for a hundred days out of the year, or maybe I wouldn't, but, but I have a real life now. Like I'm, I, I've, you, you did the album cycles and the endless tours once before. And now you get like a, you're kind of like putting your toes back in the water for a second go and you can do things differently now. And that's okay. Yeah. It's really nice. I, I mean, we're honestly, like, this is so much more fun than it was with Gatsby's. Like, I loved making the Gatsby's records, but like all the, you know, I don't know what the word is, but all the nonsense that went along with it where, you know, you'd have to be gone like nine months out of the year and have no life at home and be broke all the time and not be able to have normal relationships. And like, you know, you miss people's weddings and you, you know, it's like, it was just like, it was just such a, just a bummer way to live for like so many years. And this is like, man, I'm like, I'm getting the best of both worlds because like, I'm really enjoying, you know, being in my thirties and like just having a place and being comfortable and, you know, having dinner parties and just being a normal human being. And then I also get to make records. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, no, that's, that's the sweet spot right there. Having like a, a life outside of music while still having a life in music is kind of the goal of most people working in music that are above the age of 25. Yeah. And, well, and, and a I lot think, of people drop off before 30. So like you're in the, you're in the sweet spot right now. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's a weird thing too. And like, I think that I discovered this with, uh, piebald. Do you remember piebald? Oh yeah. I, yeah, definitely. I love piebald. Um, but that, that record, uh, I think it's called the, uh, we are the only friends we have. That is literally my, I was, but when you asked me if I knew Piebald, I was like, of course, we're the only friends we have, but yes, yes, go yeah, on. That's, that's their seminal, that's their seminal record. But I remember when it, it kind of hit me that like that record is all about being a band on tour. You know, it's like, it's their, like, mo- like most of their songs are about like being on tour and their, their, you know, vehicle and like, you know, and just like. And then trying to balance like, you know, jobs at home and, you know, trying to make all that work together and stuff. And, and, and then I was thinking, you know, so I was thinking about that and I was thinking about like, gosh, like what about, you know, these bands that like tour all like full time, the ones that actually made it, that weren't just like, you know, indie, indie rock semi made it like us and Taiwan, like, 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 like how did they even like write stuff that other people can relate to? Because like, you know, like all they do is tour and play music. And so it's like, uh, it's, it's almost to me like, you know, politicians, like I remember somebody 
interviewed um, Rudy Giuliani, like, I don't know, it was probably eight years ago now, and they were, they tried to catch him, and they got him, and they were like, they're like, hey, you know, how much, how much does a gallon of milk cost? And he's like, uh, I don't know, 75 cents. <laughs> and, they're like, and they're like, excuse me? He's like, yeah, 75 cents. So like, how much does a gallon of gas cost? You know, and he, he just, you know, was so out of touch with how normal people lived, and because he doesn't even buy his own milk, he doesn't live a normal life. He doesn't, you know. So how could he even, you know? And that's the thing was that's the truth for most politicians, honestly, and just celebrities. Like they just have no uh, concept of of how you know it is to live as a normal human being. And and then you know you can look at like music people like that as well. It's like if if I was like a successful musician that just didn't have to work or pay bills or have any of the normal problems that other people have like i i feel like my music would probably be shit <laughs> so it's a blessing it's a blessing to struggle a little bit no no i i get that and i mean i think in some ways there are people like there's that diehard connection that some fans feel and like as long as you keep writing like the same type of record you can kind of keep cashing in and i think some people do write that for a while but i I, I get that, and I feel like my experience has been on like the journalism and fan side of it, where it's the bands that did kind of make it and have been able to kind of continue. Like my interest has waned as they've kind of, whereas I've realized more and more that like the way they stay relevant is by like whatever the the hook was that helped them get off the ground in the first place is kind of the thing they keep coming back to again and again. And what I find yeah. way more interesting is when people go away and they come back either same band or new project, and they've spent a few years away and they've lived some life. And now they're closer to where I am because, like, I've been working in music since I was basically in high school, like you were. And the stuff that I listened to at 21, I, I listen to now, and I'm like, I just, I mean, it's fine. I just, this isn't my reality anymore. And I, I like trying yeah. to find, I like when I find the people who, if you've been in the music industry and you leave and you come back and you write some more stuff, I feel like you get a little bit more, you, like you said, you get that real life perspective when you come back. You can hit this, you can sometimes hit the same fans you had last time because they're older too and they want something that, reflects where they are now like that's why i like the money pay record because i don't feel like it's a record that i would have enjoyed as much at 18 though i'm sure there are 18 year olds who will love it but to me i'm like this is like an out this is where i'm at now in my life too yeah no i totally i totally agree i think that's why i love uh you know minus the bear so much too is just that like because those guys were their trajectory was honestly fairly similar to gatsby's you know they were like in bands that never really you know, like they toured hard and worked hard and, and it never really kind of took off for it to be a full-time thing. And then um, when they started doing Minus the Bear, it's like they they were like, well, we're going to, you know, we all like live here and we have jobs, but, you know, we'll, we're going to make records and tour when we can. And they've just done that for, you know, I don't, gosh, they've been doing it for like 15 years now. And, um, and it's like they've, it's, it's just, it's, their music kind of speaks to me because they write about stuff that I can relate to just as an adult, you know? And it's like, I, I did love it when I was like 20 years old, but like, I, I, I love it even more now because it's like, you know, these guys are like uh, kind of capturing something that really speaks to me. And, it, you know, in a way that, I don't know, it's, it's, it's kind of a rare thing when you find stuff that's like, I don't feel silly listening to it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, where you're like, oh, I know this song's about a broken heart, but I guess the rest of it applies to me. I can, I, I haven't had a girlfriend in a while, but I guess I can make this um, yeah, reflect my relationship. Exactly. Like I'm not, like I don't want to like listen to music of like where some guys like, 
I'm going to slit my throat because you broke up with me, you bitch. You know, it's like, like that doesn't do anything for me. <laughs> I know. I, I, I don't get it. It's, it's weird when you're like, I don't mind songs about relationships, but let's have some real problems in those relationships. <laughs> like I need, I need songs about like, um, you know, trying to figure out whose shit you're going to throw out when you move in together. Like that's, that's the kind of stuff I need songs about. I don't care about like that, your first date. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Got real life problems. Yeah. That's what I think I like so much about the money pit record. And that's why I keep telling so many people they want to get it is cause I, I feel like there's, it's like an album for people that have adult problems. Yeah. <laughs> M- like money, yeah. career, stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, and I, you know, I'm not Tooting, tooting the horn or anything, but it, it was it was really important to us writing the lyrics. You know, we've never been harder on ourselves with the lyrics. Like, you know, you know, I, I think like it's you know, someone could listen to this and then listen to Gatsby and think like, oh, well, Gatsby is much tech, more technical and smarter and stuff. But it's it's wrong to think that. Like, honestly, you know, it, it, like we we put so much more thought into these you know lyrics, and it it was like let's not let's not cop out and like revert to, you know, what we did in the past. Like let's really, really try to communicate something of value here that like uh, is vital and that, you know, resonates and it's true, you know, and, and that it was, it was so much harder and so much more challenging, but also so much more rewarding to write these kind of songs than what we were doing with Gatsby's. And, and uh, you know, it's, if you sit down and just read the, the lyric book of this record, it's like, it's just like a, you know, it's like a, a mid thirties guy sitting next to you in the bar and you're just like talking about life. <laughs> and it's, it's kind of fun. Like I, I really, I'm really proud of that. Well, you should be, man. I'm, uh, I'm happy to be a part of it and I'm happy that you've, uh, that we've kind of been able to strike up this friendship through the, as a result of the record. So if nothing else, you got me out of it. So. Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah. And, and now we can talk about BB-8. <laughs> now we can now and now we can text each other about Star Wars until the end of time. <laughs> That's right. Uh, you know that was that was probably my highlight of my morning while I was sitting in like parking lots, being like, "I'm going to be late for this because I'm buying toys." And if he understands, then we'll be fine. But if he doesn't, then I, it's going to be an awkward interview because we're, we're not going to have anything to talk about. <laughs> I'm like, "Yo, bro, why are you buying clown toys, bro?" Yeah, bro. We had a conversation today, man. What are you, a child? Yes. Yes, I am. I'd be, I'd be, I'd be next to you in line if my wife wouldn't kill me if I came home with a remote control BBA. <laughs> I, I think that my, my, my lady would do that. My fiance would do the same thing to me. That's like literally this morning. I had the Millennium Falcon drone in my hand. It's like a hundred and nine dollars, and I was just like, mm, she's gonna kill me. Like she's gonna murder me <laughs> if I come home with this. Like, cause I had to get the pops. Cause like the Funko thing is my addiction. Um, but I was like, I could get this too. Then I was like, oh, she's going to be, like, I'm never going to live it down. Like if I come home with this stupid, like foot wide millennium Falcon, like, where am I even going to fly it? We live in the city. Like, I don't. That's amazing. <laughs> it was like, again, that's the kind of thing I want to hear about on a record and not like where the, your first date was. <laughs> like the struggle with having to buy star Wars toys. And then a lady who doesn't oh my get gosh. it. Dude. So, so my brother, my brother's like, like two years younger than me and um you know he's very much up the same alley we are he's like he's really into like horror movies and stuff and um so he bought a house like a year and a half ago and it has like this attic space that's kind of his like little den his little man cave and uh so like for his birthday you know for i mean forever it's like i I always buy him stuff that like he would never buy for himself he would get in trouble so like i buy him like 
I buy him like Freddy Krueger and like uh, Jason Voorhees, like Funkos and like different uh, action figures and just like, you know, graphic novels, all kinds of stuff. And he's got this like freaking like museum of like just horror collectibles and comic collectibles and stuff in his little attic space. And it's like, it's awesome because his wife can't, or, uh, can't give him any uh, shit about it. <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> Let's see. That's the that's the person of having siblings. Only child here. I don't get that. I don't get that luxury. Uh. <laughs> uh, but uh, okay. So people can go find the album. It's out today. Well, obviously they're going to hear this probably over the weekend. But the album's out now. Yep. It's out now. It's on Spotify. It's on. Is it on Apple Music too? Yeah. Yeah. It's everywhere. It's so everywhere. All traditional, you know, music uh, outlets. Can people still buy the vinyl, or is it not up right now? Um, I don't know if it's up like today, but it's supposed to be up with, I think actually it, it will be up back, back today. I, I don't know why it came, it came down. It was something to do with the pre-order setup, but it'll, yeah. if it's not up today, it'll be up by this weekend. All right. So then people can get the vinyl and then we'll do, we'll announce the tapes probably sometime this month or next month. We'll get there. Nice. They nice. have something yeah. to look out for. <laughs> keep me, uh, keep me posted. I'm excited about it. Yeah. Um, Hey, yeah, and make sure uh, make sure to go listen to that Whippersnapper record. So I want to hear what you yes. think. Everyone, yeah, and everyone at home, listen to both those records and then the old MXPX albums. <laughs> yes, you all absolutely. have homework for the holiday weekend. <laughs> School just got back in session. Here we are adding to everyone's workload. That's right. Yeah, yeah that's if, cool. If, as if there's not enough like new records to to buy and listen to today. We're like, there's, yeah. there's some more to pile on. <laughs> yeah, when you get done with uh, the Money Pit and those old albums, then there's you know the Deer Hunter and the Wonder Years have great new records out today. It's, Rick it's Ross dropped a mixtape yesterday. <laughs> you can switch it up. You know, people like hip hop. That's fine. Um, but okay, man. Thank you so much for doing this with me today. This has been a lot of fun. Dude, it was a pleasure, and I'm sorry I rambled so much. Oh, dude, Feel free this to is great. You want out? <laughs> yeah, this is great. Like we've had some episodes, not not most of them, but we've had a couple where I've felt like the most of the interview was like a 50-50 conversation. I way prefer when the other person talks more. People hear me every week, so they don't hear you every <laughs> week. So that's fine. So don't well, even worry about it. So if people want to find you online, real quick, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Uh, through our Twitter accounts. So um, if, on Twitter, we're Money Pit Music. Um, and then, uh, yeah, if you if you look up the Money Pit on uh, Facebook, we'll be there. And uh, Instagram too, but we don't use it too much. Yeah, um, yeah, it's it's hard to do oh. the branding through Instagram. Go ahead. Oh, and then the the website is moneypitmusic.com. So if you go to moneypitmusic.com, you can find links to all of our social media accounts. You can also you know order the record there. Um, and uh, yeah, but uh, that's pretty much it. All right, man. Well, I hope you have a great day. Dude, it was so awesome talking. Hey, the, keep keep in touch, man. Let's uh, let's let's text text all sorts of geek stuff. This is good. All right, dude. Definitely, I'll talk to you soon. Later, bro. Yeah, bye.